Thank you. How are you doing? You good? This is a fun night. This is a great church to be in. Fantastic. Please grab your seats. That'd be awesome. But give someone a high five as you do that. Pastor Mark and Nina, thank you so much for the invitation. Look at you noisy lot. I'm trying to talk here. Uh, so good. I, I really want to say thank you for the invitation. Uh, it is amazing. Uh, I'm from Adelaide and that's where uh, I met Pastor Mark. Uh, fun fact, in Adelaide today, it was warmer than here in Queensland. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. It really is. But it is fantastic to be here on the first night of the summit. I'm, no, I, only, I only say that because I'm, I'm just really upset that I'm actually not going to be here. It just sounds like so much fun. And if you have not registered for summit, get along to summit. I believe in times of gathering and sitting together over long periods of time because that's what took place in our youth groups. Remember the youth days, you go to youth camp and things that happen in youth camps that don't just happen in a normal Sunday by Sunday. And as we get older, we kind of forget that. And so Pastor Mark has put on a moment, everyone say moment, a moment for us to sit in the presence of God and, and to sit in the presence of the fellowship of one another, more than just a Sunday morning or more than just a Sunday afternoon. And that's important because, I don't know if you've ever washed the dishes, but if you have a breakfast, if you have a breakfast and you wash the dishes straight away, guess what? You can quickly wash the dishes. But if you leave the bowl and you don't get onto it straight away, particularly if you've had wheat bix and you leave it there for a day, a week, a month, or like some of the young men in this church, a year, it, it, it becomes like concrete and you can't just rinse it. It has to sit, soak and saturate in order to soften what has become hard. And I think this summit is gonna be a moment while you're sitting in the presence of God, where some of the areas of our life have become hard, God's gonna soften those areas again. And you're gonna have an incredible time in the presence of God and the presence of one another. So please, please, please prioritize that. I'm not gonna be there, but I do believe in moments like that. And I know they are moments that take you from where you are to where God wants you to be. So if you're not registered, then register. And if you are registered, make sure you get along and nothing gets in the way and stops you going there. How's that sound? Yes. Sound good? Well, I am from Adelaide and I'm married. I've been married for 31 years, love of my life, and we dated for eight years before that. So been together for 39 years and we met. I could play a game with you, but I don't have time. That whole where did you meet game, just don't have time because none of you would guess where we met. So I'm just going to tell you, okay? We met at roller skating. The reason it's so silent in here is because most of you don't even know what roller skating is. And so all of you who are too young to know what roller skating is, you just need to think about something that's really cool to do today. And roller skating was cooler than that. That's all I'm saying. And, and we, were, we were skating around the, the, the rink and uh, to the song of Total Eclipse of the Heart, sung by Bonnie Tyler, I asked my then 14-year-old girl that I like to be my girlfriend. She said yes, and we've been together ever since. Oh, <laughs> great response. So that, that, and her name is Kath, and uh, we got married, like I said, 31 years ago. We have three incredible kids. My oldest daughter is Jordan. She's 25. Here we go. My oldest daughter in the black dress there, she's 25. She married Nathaniel in the grey suit there 
in January 2020, just before COVID in Bali. So that was a fantastic wedding. In the middle is our youngest daughter. Her name is Bailey, or as we affectionately call her, BJ. She's 17. Then I have my one and only son, Mitch, in the middle there. And he got married this year to a Kiwi girl, Caitlin, in the pink dress there. So uh, they got married this year. He's been over in New Zealand for the last three years, and he's a youth pastor in New Zealand. And he preached at church for the very first time tonight. So I'm really looking forward to knowing how that all went. The wonderful woman in the pink suit there is my wife. And the guy in the blue suit there scrubs up all right. <laughs> That's me. In actual this is a very encouraging church. I, I've been encouraged more than once today. I've been told I look like Jesus. <laughs> um, my whole life is about becoming more like Jesus. And, and to, get a, to get a compliment like that is pretty cool. And then straight after that, someone said, you look like Michael Hutchins. Again, some of you young ones won't even know what that is, but uh, Michael Hutchins is the lead singer of the greatest rock band ever. That's what I'm saying. So that's just, thank you for your generosity and your incredible warmth and encouragement, church. You're just such an encouraging church. I think we're going to have fun tonight. What do you reckon? Been good? Yeah. And uh, yeah, and so come from Adelaide. Been leading church for 29 years. We planted a church way back in February. February, what was it? February 1994, the 27th of February, 1994. So next year, we celebrate 30 years since we first planted that church, along with my wife and 10 other wonderful, wonderful people, which is just a real incredible privilege. And it's amazing. When you've been leading a church for a long period of time, people always ask me this question. They say, what's the best thing about ministry? And I find that real easy to answer. I mean, for me, it's so easy to answer, and it's this, people. I am a people person. I'm a people person of night. I love people. I'm so passionate about people. I love people so much. I even married one. I love them so much. We even made three of our own. I mean, I love people. People are amazing. Love people. People are the greatest thing. When it comes to what's the best thing about ministry, it's people. Then they ask me this question. What's the worst thing about ministry? What's the worst thing about what you do? I said, oh, that's easy to answer. It's the same answer. <laughs> it's People. I mean, people are amazing. I, I love them, but gee, people are painful. People hurt. They are both beautiful and brutal. So I've coined a phrase. For me, people are brutal. That's what I think of people. They are beautiful and they are brutal. And they can be amazing and gee, they can hurt. And today... Hopefully when I finish talking, you will leave encouraged. I, I, I'm new to this church, and so I just want to leave knowing that I've deposited something that will help lift your heads, and I think tonight's message goes really well with what I shared this morning in the other two campuses. It's a different message, but it's a similar vein, because I just want to see you live with your heads lifted high. Back home, we're doing a series on obedience. I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> Not on my first visit, I wouldn't do that to you. But I, I have something that I think uh, and trust and hope will help you because it affects each and every one of us. And the title of my message is simply this, The Disappointed Optimist. And as a little sub-thought, I, I would put overcoming cynicism. Hopefully this will make sense to us as we go along. Because people get very cynical, particularly when it comes to the church. They say, the church hurt me. There's this thing called church hurt. And church hurt doesn't exist. 
Church doesn't hurt you. People hurt you. The church doesn't. I've never heard someone who plays tennis and says, oh, I'm not going back there. I'm tennis hurt. I've never heard anyone say that I'm football hurt. But when it comes to the church, the church gets blamed for a lot. But what it is, actually, it's people. And that's not going to stop anytime soon. So it's how we manage the people pain in our lives. Are you with me? Because what I know is if we don't, dealing with people is very taxing on our body, on our soul, and our spirit. And it's easy to get burnt out, disillusioned, bitter, and cynical. But what I also know is no one sets out to be cynical. You ask a young person what they want to be when they grow up, they might not, they might not know. But one thing they'll never say is this. When I'm older, I can't wait to be bitter, twisted, and cynical. That, that's what I want to be when I grow up. And yet many people, when they grow up, become bitter, twisted, and cynical. But no one sets out to be those things. It happens over a period of time. And all of us, myself included, is susceptible to that reality. And how we manage our lives and how we manage the people in our world is really important. So I hope this helps tonight. What I know about most cynics is they were former optimists. Nearly everyone starts out in life with a positive outlook. Cynics aren't born, they are made. Life doesn't make you a cynic. You make yourself a cynic. Cynicism is not always a conscious decision, but it is a decision nonetheless. And the Bible says in Proverbs that we're responsible for our spirit. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Now, here's the good news. Being cynical doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you a person. Like I said before, we're all susceptible to becoming cynical. Why? Because we care. I think I'm looking at a room of people tonight that care about people. I, I'm not going to allow cynicism to enter my heart and say, no, you don't. You're, no, no. I, I, I think every one of you in this room cares about people. And that's the beginning of our cynicism. It's because we care. We care about people. We want to make a difference, don't we? We want to do good things. And so what do we do? We pour ourselves out into people. Not once, not twice, but over and over and over and over again. And what we find is as we do it over and over and over again, we tend to find we get little to nothing in return. And when you keep pouring yourself out over and over and over again and get little to nothing in return, it does something to our heart. They say once bitten, twice shy. You know, when we were in America, we did this family trip for six weeks in America a few years ago, and we were staying in a friend's home. Well, it was a friend of a friend's home. And they had a big husky dog that they said, look, don't bother with the dog. We've got it looked after by the neighbours. All we've got to do is enjoy the house and, and use it as a base. We'd been there a whole week. On the last day, we're packing the bags up, and my wife, bless her, she heard the dog whimpering. 
the dog has somehow managed to trap itself. It's gone round and round and round the stake and, and it got all tied up. And it was whimpering. And I was told by the neighbor, your dog's making a noise. I said, look, it's not our dog, um, but I'll deal with it. So I go into the house and I said to my wife and I said to our kids, I said, look, neighbors told me that the dog's out there whimpering. The trouble is the dog doesn't know us and if we try and help it, it might not go well. So I grab the bags and, and I start packing the car. What? I'm pouring my heart out here. And I turned around and I came to the house and there was a scream. There was tears because my wife, bless her, thought she knew best and she wanted to help the dog. And as she went and lent in to help the dog, the dog attacked her. And she got bitten in places and we had to go to the doctors and had to have injections and, and it just was a horrific time. Why did she get attacked? Because she was teasing the dog? No. Because she was being mean to the dog? No. Because she just wanted to help. Does that sound familiar? You ever try to help someone and they just bite you back? And once bitten, twice shy. Cynicism begins not because we don't care, but because we do care. Not only that, we gain knowledge through our experience. You see, knowledge is a double-edged sword. You need knowledge to grow, but the more knowledge get, we get, the more pain we experience. Our problem is that we know too much. We've experienced too much heartbreak. We've experienced too much rejection. We've been bitten too much. And because we've gained this knowledge over our years of trying to help, we've concluded it's not worth it. And if we're not careful, it can change how we view people. In actual fact, it can change how we view marriages. How many young people have said, I will never get married? You're not even young enough to understand what marriage is, let alone to have an opinion about it. And yet they've got this strong opinion why they're not going to get married. Why? Because what they've seen from mum and dad. And again, this is a judgment-free zone. We're here to get help and bring hope today. So lean in, listen up, it's going to get better. But these are some of the harsh realities we face. And it can even change the way you view animals. I mentioned what happened to my wife in America. Well, you fast forward a few years later, Kath and I were doing our normal thing, walking with our little multi Shih Tzu uh, dog and taking the dog for a walk. And out of nowhere, I mean, like stealth, this dog came and just picked our dog up in its mouth. And of all the dogs that could do that to our dog, guess what kind of a dog it was? A husky. I'd just come out of hospital having had heart surgery. I mean, I'm a week out of hospital. And, and I've got to try and get this dog out of this other dog's mouth. And so I don't know if you've ever tried to break up a dog fight. It's not pretty. And so I'm just grabbing our dog, trying to rip it out of its mouth. And he's screaming, he's biting. And it's just, it's just horrible. And then I finally got our dog out of its mouth. And then the dog's trying to attack me. So I'm trying to just... I, was say, I kicked the dog. I didn't kick the dog. All you animal lovers out there. But I was just, I was just making, I was just going, Ugh! and I was making these weird noises. Going, Ugh! Ugh! 
I don't know, it, just, it was just what I did in the moment. It was just a crazy thing. And, and uh, I even, I grabbed our dog and I ran in front of this car and stopped this car. Just like a policeman. It was so cool. And he slams on the brakes and, and I said, open your door. I'm telling him to open the door. He opens the door. I throw our dog in. I don't even know this guy. <laughs> it's a weird thing to do. Anyway, for some strange reason, the husky now just decides he's had enough and he runs off. And then I sort of calm down and I apologise and thank the person who let me use the car as a little bit of a hiding place. I grab inside, grab the dog. And I think, where's my wife? And I look over and my wife has not moved. She's frozen. She didn't do anything. She didn't say anything. She didn't do anything. She wasn't crying. She was just frozen. Because when you've been bitten enough, it changes the way you view life, people, marriages, and those pesky huskies. And so knowledge is a good thing, but it also creates problems. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 18, in the message, it says, much learning earns you much trouble. The more you know, the more you hurt. In other words, in order to stay happy, you need to stay dumb. <laughs> but if you stay dumb, you won't be happy. So it's this, this double-edged sword. You need knowledge. You need knowledge. But the more knowledge we get, the more pain there is. So what do we do with this dilemma? And if we're not careful, we end up losing hope for the future. And we have this voice inside our head that says it's useless. Now, I know I'm talking to everyone here. That voice that says, what's the point? It's a waste of time. I would, but they'll only let me down again. I hope I'm not just purging my soul to you tonight, but I, I've certainly been here. I, I remember our worship pastor, all excited because he met someone who used to come to our church, left badly, ran into him, and through the conversation, this young man said he would come back to church. And our worship pastor tells it as a praise report in our staff meeting. And I've got to be honest with you, I'm the pastor and I'm standing there listening to you. And I didn't say this. I've learned enough. I didn't say anything. But in my heart, I'm like, I'm like, dude, he's not coming. You've been played. And do you know what happened? He never came. I was right. But that's not the point. The point is, where did I get so cynical that I didn't even begin to think maybe possibly he could be there? And it was a real arresting moment for me that am I starting to get cynical? Am I starting to lose hope for the future? Yes, I was right, but I've learned this. I've been around long enough to know that being right's overrated. I was right... But the problem with me being right in that moment is that I was becoming cynical. And I had the rightness of what I saw pushing me into cynicism further. And it was a powerful moment in my life. See, what God wants to do in our life is far too important to be ruled by a wounded, cynical spirit. In Romans 15, verse 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him 
so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you find yourself at a crossroad when it comes to getting cynical, bitter and twisted, and we all do, you've got one of four options you can take. The first one that you can take is you just quit. You can quit. I suggest tonight that you don't quit. If you feel like quitting, you are meant to be here tonight. I'm here to say to you, don't quit. The second thing you can do in that moment, and sadly, too many people have done this, you can fail. You can choose to fail or you can sabotage. A good friend of mine who was quite a bit younger than me in ministry, leading a great church in Adelaide, did just that. The pressure of the church, the fast growth of the church, the multiple campuses he'd started got to him. And instead of saying, I'm struggling, he ended up having an affair just to get the pressure off. He failed. He chose that route. He didn't quit, he failed. He sabotaged what could have been. Can I suggest that's not the best option? The third option is we stay. Now, staying has some merit to it. But we don't just need you staying, being cynical. We don't need any more cynical people sitting in the church critiquing everything about the church. The music's too loud. The sermon's too long. This is too that. You, you can stay. But there is a fourth option. And it's the one I believe God wants us all to adopt. And that is that we choose to thrive and not just survive that we see life as it really is and not through the eyes of our hurt. That we not only stay, but we engage again. Obviously, God wants us to thrive and he wants us to overcome cynicism, especially on the days when discouragement and despair are once again knocking at the door. So in the short time that I have left, I just want to highlight three things that are going to help us to overcome and have a life whereby we can thrive. Because it's going to take something from us. And the first one is this. We need, in order to overcome cynicism, a godly revelation. We need to have God encounters. Did I mention about Summit coming up? These are moments where we can have an encounter with God. Do you know Peter was told by Jesus that he would betray Jesus three times? And Peter said, no way, no way, I'm not going to do that. And many of you have said, I'm not going to do it, that'll never happen. And we find ourselves in these moments. But if you look at what happened just before Peter ultimately denied Jesus three times, you'll see something happen that's quite interesting. Just before Peter denies Jesus three times, Jesus is arrested in the garden of Gethsemane. And what did Peter do? Peter stepped up. I mean, if there's a whole heap of soldiers coming at midnight to arrest you, you want your disciples to step up. And Peter steps up. Peter's all in. We've heard message after message about being all in. Peter's all in. He pulls out the sword. He starts swinging, swaying. He ends up cutting off some guy's ear. He wasn't going for the ear. 
He was just going for anything that moved and, and just managed to cut this guy's ear off. What was he doing? He was trying to help Jesus. And Jesus picks up the ear, puts it back on the man, just does this miraculous thing that he's so good at, and looks at Peter and rebukes him. It's so easy to judge Peter for denying Jesus three times, but just think about Peter in that moment, that fog of disillusionment, that fog of disappointment. Like, are you kidding? You're telling me off. The only guy who stood up for you. The only guy who is willing to put my life on the line. P.S., where's Judas? And where's John hiding behind the tree? I mean, where, where, where? I'm the only guy. And what makes that moment worse? Three chapters before, Jesus talks to the disciples about picking up a sword. He said, I came not to bring peace, but to bring the sword. So Peter's heard from Jesus. He knows exactly what to do. He heard Jesus. He just wasn't listening. Does that sound like anyone else in the room? And so Peter's in this haze and fog and think, what? And I imagine that first denial looks something like this. He's one of them. And, and Peter's like, what? No, what? I, I can imagine he's numb. He didn't even hear it. He's just like, yeah, just dismissing it. Second time, he's one of them. Well, I just, I, I don't know what I am right now. Second time. Thinking, man, I put my life on the line. He's telling me off. He told me off in front of all those people. Then, then this little girl comes up. He's one of them. Like, quiet. I'm just quiet. I need some peace and quiet. No. Cock a doodle do. Let's never read the Bible and judge the characters. These characters are in the Bible not to judge them, but to learn from them. I so resonate with Peter. But what Peter needed was a godly revelation. In this fog, in this state of what? And now, now, now I've disowned him. He said, ah, this, and what does he do? He goes back to what he used to do. Some of you are tempted to go in back to what you used to do. And so he's fishing. But after Jesus rose again, as Peter was fishing, Jesus calls from the shore. And Peter recognises it's Jesus. And I love what Peter did. Yes, he was disillusioned three nights earlier, but he jumps into the water and swims towards Jesus and finds himself right back at the feet of Jesus, which is exactly where Jesus wants you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've thought, no matter what you've been through, he wants you to use every circumstance, every people pain you're ever gonna experience to bring it back to his feet. I love Peter because he had this ability to keep coming back to Jesus. And that's all we gotta do to overcome this people pain is to keep coming back to him, keep having godly revelation. If you got saved back in the 70s, if you got saved in the 90s, if you got saved back in the 2000s, if you got saved last week, praise God for those incredible moments in our lives. But it's not enough. We've got to keep having ongoing revelation, ongoing encounters with Him. And can I say, don't let your work get in the way of your worship. You know, when Jesus was being tempted by the devil in the desert, Jesus says to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God with all your heart and serve Him only. 
It wasn't one or the other. But it wasn't work first. It was worship first. And then serve him out of your worship. If you work first, you'll never find time to worship. And if you don't find time to worship and have godly encounters and godly revelation, you will burn out, you will get cynical because you're not doing it for the right reason. We're not doing it for him. Peter has many flaws, as do we all. But one thing he teaches us is to keep coming back to Jesus, keep coming back to Jesus, keep having godly revelation, keep having God encounters. Does that sound good? How do we overcome the cynicism that creeps into our heart? Through having godly revelation. Secondly, through external evaluation. Godly revelation, external evaluation. Do you know we all have blind spots? I can see you right now, but I can't see what's behind me. But guess who can see what's behind me? Every one of you. But what you can't see is what's behind you, and I can. We need each other to help us with what we can't see. And if I was 100 years old, as Pastor Mark alluded to, (laughs) I would still have blind spots. Doesn't matter how old you are, how wise you are, how mature you are, you will always have blind spots. And so you need people speaking into your life. Someone that will champion you, someone that will challenge you, someone that will help you. You know, the other day, our daughter, I say the other day, a few years ago now, our daughter just found herself crying. In the, I'll never forget, it was in the plaza, at the Teepee Plaza, our local shopping mall in Westfield. And she's just crying. And I said, hey, what's up, sweetie? And she said, I'm upset because Sarah's mum and dad just split up. I said, let's go get a donut and I got a chocolate milkshake. And, and I asked her this question. I said, hey, sweetie, how many of the class know about this? She said, all of them. I said, how many do you think are crying right now about that? She said, oh, probably just me. And she was putting herself down saying that. I said, you know what that tells me about you? That tells me that you have something special in your life. The fact that you're the only one crying tells me that you have a special gift of care. And then I said this to her, I said, sweetie, God gives gifts, but it's my job and privilege as a dad to help you manage what God has given you. And I said, imagine if I bought you a car for your 16th birthday and we talked about what car that would be. And I said, imagine I bought you a car. That's a great gift. But if I don't teach you how to drive it, that will kill you. You know, we've all been given gifts, but if we don't learn to manage the gift, it will kill us. And my daughter is such an empathizer. She's such a carer. She's such a lover of people. She's so sensitive. And that's a gift. But it's a gift that's going to kill her unless I help her to manage it. And so from that day on, we changed the way we prayed. And as part of the prayer to this very day, we prayed this as part of our prayer together. She's 17 years of age now. I still get the luxury because she's the only one of our kids that lives at home now. And I still get the opportunity every time she's at home just to go to a bedroom, lay down on a bed, have a bit of a chat and pray for her. And in our prayers, we pray for this, that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of, and she'll say, love, power and a sound mind. That came out of that moment. If she didn't have someone in the world to help her unpack what that moment was, She could have believed something just so ungodly and so unhelpful. I am not the person I am today without the people in my world. I'm so grateful. God has used me. I've traveled much of the world. It's been an incredible privilege. 
But I stand up here today as a conglomeration of so many people, so many coaches, so many mentors, so many voices in my life, and I'm so grateful for that. Even Arnold Schwarzenegger knows there's no such thing as a self-made man. There's no such thing as self-made man. We need each other. Church, we need you. Did I mention there's a church summit coming up? You need to be there. We're going to lift each other's head. We're going to help each other. And we're going to deal with the cynicism that creeps in. And do you know what? It's going to creep in again. And you know how we're going to deal with it? By encouraging one another again. And when it creeps in again, because it will, we're going to encourage one another again. We're going to say, no, you're better than that. You're better than that. You're better than that. You can do this. Come on. Come on. And the last one is simply this, as a band come up, self-investigation. So we've got godly revelation, external evaluation, and then self-investigation. And this is something that only we can do. God can't do this for us. People can't do this part for us. It's a self-investigation. We have to do the work. We have to dig deep. We have to find out what's really going on. And it's a battle in our lives that needs to be fought and won. Because it's so easy to play the blame game. I did that because they said this. No, we've got, we got, we got to dig deeper than that. That might have been a trigger, but come on, there's something deeper going on. What's going on in our world? What's going on in our life? And, and what I find often, and I'm speaking for myself, but I think it applies to most people as I've done this thing for a long time now, it often comes down to one of two things, fear or pride. They're often the enemies that we face internally. When we say, how could they do that to me? It's pride. It may happen again, fear. And we have to deal with this fear and this pride that creeps into our lives. And the good news is when you know what the root issue is, you can deal with it. I mentioned to the two congregations this morning, two campuses this morning, that in 2016 I had open heart surgery because two months before that I had a blood infection which attacked one of my valves and so just one of those crazy years. I don't have time to talk about it now but before we knew what it was a blood infection I was in hospital for three days. I went to hospital with all these pains. I couldn't move. I was in agony and for three days they didn't know what to do with me. They were just literally guessing. They were, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's the other. They were just guessing. And then after being in hospital for three days, it was like one of the most, it was the best day and the worst day of my life. It was a real bittersweet moment because after doing a lot of tests and a lot of analysis, they worked out, he's got a blood infection. And I'll never forget how I felt. I thought like, wow, that's horrible. And it was really serious. It could have taken me out. I mean, it literally could have. I was kind of on death's door for a little while there. But it's also the best day of my life because now we know what it is. We can treat it. And I know that moment for me didn't feel the best. It was a long process after that, the road to recovery. But because of that day, it started a journey. And tonight, we're going to have an opportunity just to quickly pray with you and, and, and just believe that something would shift. And for some of you, you might have something instantaneous. And to that, I say, praise God. But for some of you, it may just be an eyes open moment. 
It may just be an awakening moment. And then you may have to get alongside the right people to get the right pathway forward. But this I know, God loves you. He loves you too much to leave you in your cynicism, your hurt and your pain. He sees it. He loves you. He wants the best for you. And as we open up our heart afresh and let God in, I believe bit sooner or later, we'll find ourselves not being cynical. As I mentioned before, I've been leading the church a long time and, and I've got enough reason, like anyone, to not like church. But what I've talked about tonight has literally been my pathway every time. Anytime I feel something creeping in, I go to godly revelation. I get the external evaluation. I get people speaking into my life. And then I do the work. This self-investigation. What's going on? What's going on? It's, it's, not, it's not rocket science. But with God, it's possible. Will you stand with me this, uh, this evening? just do something and again you may have come tonight and you're in the best place you're think, why is he talking about cynicism this life's good that's awesome there will definitely be people in that place every Sunday there's people who have got promotions there are people who have got engaged there are people who are having babies there are people getting married and they're just like woohoo and on the same Sunday there's people who have lost their jobs they've lost a loved one it's every Sunday it's every Sunday But this I know, if you're in a good place today and you're strong today, guess what? A week from now, a month from now, a year from now, it creeps in. So can we just do something? Can we just raise our hands to heaven? Is that okay? I, I like this posture because it's a sign of openness. It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of vulnerability. It's a sign that's saying, we're here, Lord. And Father, we just come before you this evening we just raise our hands to heaven. For we know, Lord, you've placed us in a world of people. You looked at this earth and after creating all that you created, the only thing that you said was not good that was Adam was alone. And so you created a helper for him. And so we need people in our life. The trouble is those people are the ones who bring pain. And so, Father, we're asking you just to fill us afresh with your Spirit, fill us afresh with your power. That you come and do a deep work in us tonight. That we wouldn't run away from people. That we wouldn't get cynical. But, Father, that you'd do a deep work in us. You'd bring a healing work in us. That we may find ourselves back in the game again. That we may find ourselves able to serve again that we may find ourselves in a place where we can believe again. We pray to you, God, that uh, the joy would come again. 
We pray in this environment tonight that peace would come again. As we raise our hands to heaven, we give to You the weight of our cynicism. We give to You the weight of our hurt. We give to You the weight of our pain. We give it all to You right now. And we ask that You would come in like a flood. You'd fill our hearts afresh and You'd do a deep work inside each and every one of us that we, dear God, could believe again, hope again, dream again. Father, for those who have felt like quitting, for those who have felt like failing, we pray that You'd arrest them right now in Jesus' Name and that You'd give them comfort, You'd give them strength and You'd give them hope again. Father, we ask that in Jesus' mighty Name. Let that be, let that be. Can we lift our voice and begin to pray? Can we do that right now? Can we do that right now? I know there's some who are really struggling. There are some who are really fighting. And we want you to know we are, we are for you. We are here with you. You don't have to do this struggle alone. You're part of the family of God. You're part of a local church. And it's an environment where you can receive all that you need for life and for godliness. We ask you to come in like a flood right here, right now and do what it is, Lord, that only you can do. Bring healing to our broken heart. Bring healing to our hurt. Bring healing to our pain. Won't You come, Lord? Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Flood this place with Your presence, we pray in Jesus' mighty Name. Come on, church.